Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1? We're going to, again this week, just take a break from our 20 chapters uh, in the Old Testament series to focus on uh, Holy Week. And so we're going to be doing uh, this prayer from Paul. It's, I'm, I'm calling it his, his Easter prayer, for lack of a better title. Uh, and I think it'll be evident when, when we read these words. But uh, if you uh, return next Sunday, we're going to continue in our um, series looking at 20 important chapters in the Old Testament that I think we should all be familiar with and trying to carry some of, the, some of the momentum from our 20-year anniversary into thinking through how do we grow as disciples and become more familiar with the whole story of Children's Church, which I forgot to announce. Thank you. <laughs> that thing over there, the whole story of Children's Church. Uh, so thanks, everybody. Uh, hey, yeah, let's stand in honor of God's Word. I'm going to pick up in verse 15 and read through verse 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me pray for us. Father, as we read uh, Paul's prayer and and hear his words of intercession for the saints at Ephesus, uh, we pray that through your spirit, you would apply these words to us, that you would answer this prayer on our behalf, that we would know this kind of hope, that we would know this kind of power, that that we would experience these kinds of riches, that we would ultimately rejoice in the power and the authority of this one who is above all. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. So as we break down Paul's uh, Easter prayer, what I hope we're going to see is how he exalts uh, Jesus, his exaltation. Uh, We're going to see him talk about the dominion of Jesus, and we're also going to hear and be challenged with what is our confession in in light of this. So exaltation and dominion and confession are are the the rails we're running on this morning. Um, You know, I want to break down this prayer because uh, as lots of of people have noticed when they they read Ephesians and they see Paul uh, begin his letter, he he just kind of jumps in with these long grammar, you know, persnicketiness. Uh, you'll kind of go, boy, that's a long sentence, Paul. And, and yeah, his English teacher would not have, you know, been too pleased. But hey, it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to run with it. But that means I got to break it down for you because otherwise it just kind of like piles on. Uh, and so, so here's the prayer. Um, he, he's praying because he has heard this report 
about the saints in Ephesus and about their love for uh, all the saints, about their faith in the Lord Jesus. And so Paul's reaction is thanksgiving. He, he doesn't stop giving thanks. He's just got this gush and rush of, of thanksgiving and prayer because of their faith and love. Because of their connection with Jesus, Paul is, is pleading uh, to God on their behalf. And what does he pray? He, he prays along these lines. He asks me, the Father of glory give you uh, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I mean, who, who of us prays, prays like that? I mean, when we have people that we love and that we care about, we pray, God bless, you know, so-and-so and keep them safe and, and, and bless them. I mean, that's, that's sort of the extent sometimes of our prayers. And we, we can learn from how Paul prays. He's praying, may the Father of glory give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better so that you can know God better. You can mature love and that we know. And then he goes on and he prays that the, the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Did you know that you have eyes in your heart that, that perceive things, that see things that are, the eyes in our head don't necessarily see? Invisible things, spiritual things, heart, you know, what the, what the eyes of our heart see. And you may know, and he talks about three things. What is the hope? to which he's called you. And then what are the, the riches of, you know, this glorious inheritance that we have, you know, that, that is for us. And, and then going on in verse 19, which is going to be where we're going to focus more here in a little bit. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So this is a, a typical prayer for Paul. He he begins in intercession and thanksgiving. These people are, are you know, he, he loves them, he cares for them, and so he's, he's praying to God on their behalf. And typical for Paul, he kind of gets so caught up in what he's praying, um, you know, praying about their glorious inheritance, praying about, you know, their hope, praying about this power that's on their behalf, that he kind of gets distracted. He, I don't know if you saw the pivot there in verse 20, but he went from interceding for them, praying for them to just exaltation uh, of, of Christ and Christ's power. And then he starts just, just praising Jesus for his power and, you know, his resurrection and, and, and ultimately his, his session that we're going to talk about here in a second. But do you see that? How, how Paul begins by praying for the people and then he, he in his prayer that they would see more of Jesus Paul sees more of Jesus and it kind of captures his attention and he gets distracted. It's a lot like how you and I pray, only we begin by praying for people and then I get, I get distracted by, oh, I got to text so-and-so. Oh, and I wonder what's for dinner. And oh, you know, you think about this, that, or the other. And, and, and that's, our, that's our prayer life. Paul gets distracted by the exaltation of Christ. So it's a little bit of a different league, but it's something we can, we can aspire to and maybe grow into. So he, you know, this is Paul's Easter prayer. I'm calling it his Easter prayer because he focuses in verses 19 and 20 on the working of Christ, of God's great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Resurrection isn't something that Paul just thinks about annually, like on Easter. Paul's thinking about the resurrection in the context of everything. This is how he does discipleship. This is, this is his vision 
for other Christians who he influences that they would know and experience the power of the resurrection more consistently and thoroughly. So that, that should be our prayer, right? This is the wrong way to put it, but you know, you can see how he's, he's praying for these people and then he just kind of gets caught up in exaltation. And he's, and he's worshiping Jesus for his resurrection. Uh, other places we see Paul worshiping Jesus for his ascension, you know, the exaltation of Jesus and being ascended above all things. And uh, in Philippians, he, he describes it well. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee on earth and, and should bow in heaven and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the, the glory of God the Father. Now, after the resurrection of Jesus, he, he appeared to the disciples. Um, he appeared to, to lots of people actually making it irrefutable that he had, in fact, risen from the dead. And there were all these eyewitnesses. And New Testament authors are pointing to, hey, there are eyewitnesses, and you can verify the resurrection and so on. So it should give us encouragement to do the same. Um, and then he, he's taken up. And if you're a Star Trek fan, like you think, oh, it's like they beamed him up, all right? Jesus got beamed up to heaven. But that would be the wrong conception of the ascension. It's not as much the focus on geographic space or his location. The ascension isn't simply that Jesus went from heaven to earth. It's, it's not about him being, you know, beamed up. It's about him being lifted up above every power and authority and dominion that exists so that he takes this supremely exalted position in heaven. So this is, a, and then uh, back to Ephesians 1, in verse 20, we're told that God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. This is what we, the theologians call the session of Jesus. He is seated. Um, and, and we know that phrase. We're familiar with that, even though it may sound a little bit foreign to you. Uh, the, the session of Jesus is the seat of authority in heaven. Um, so we understand from the court language and, and, you know, judicial language that the court is in session when the judge takes what? The bench, right? So when the judge sits, that's when justice is going to, to, to be doled out because that judge has authority to judge what is right and what's wrong. Um, and, and so again, that language of sitting and session, you know, makes sense to us when we think about authority. When you think about a monarch, um, you know, maybe the first image that pops into your mind is a crown, that's fine. But the other image that we tend to think about is a throne. That the monarch sits on the throne and the king or queen is on the throne, uh, you know, they're ruling their empire, they're ruling their kingdom, and they're exercising their authority. Uh, we even, to kind of bring it a little closer to home, uh, we, if you live in Augusta County, Augusta County has a county seat, right? The the seat of authority is, is, you know, over in Stanton at the courthouse. And so we understand language of session being associated with authority. And this is part of the majesty of Jesus. It begins with his resurrection, his ascension, and then ultimately it continues even today as he is seated on a throne in heaven right now, governing all things, ruling all things as part of his exalted status, as part of his minion. Paul... Um, 
talks about Christ's exaltation, he refers to his dominion too. Um, so in verse 21, he's seated above all rule, above all authority, above all power, above all other dominions, right? And this, is, this speaks to Jesus um, that we've got an interesting relationship. Even though uh, power dynamics can be good, sometimes they can be bad. Uh, and we don't really even know what to think of the word power sometimes. Like, uh, do you remember uh, back in the day when you used to get your electric bill from an organization called Dominion Power? And it had the, the, the icon for Dominion Power was this, this finger that kind of reminds you of Genesis and the touch, you know, that Michelangelo did on the Sistine Chapel. And then they changed, they rebranded Dominion Power to become Dominion Energy. And they got rid of the biblical kind of connotation of the, the finger, and now it's just a D with some lines through it. Why did they change? Why did they spend all that money? And why did they go through that entire process of rebranding Dominion Power to make it Dominion Energy? Because power doesn't always pull well. People are suspicious of power. We're suspicious of those who have power. We don't like seeing people who have tremendous amounts of power use their power in ways that do harm instead of help. We look at people like Vladimir Putin using his power for evil. You look at you know, Kim Jong-un you know, using his power. He's the supreme leader of North Korea. Like, you know, how's that for a title? Using power for evil. Power's not always used, you know, that way. Um, sometimes you get the word power and it's a good thing. You know, we have part of our Holy Week every, every year we do a blood drive. We just figured a blood drive sounds cool during Holy Week because there's kind of that, the blood, the power in the blood, right? Um, so I, did, I donated blood on Thursday and normally I'll, I'll just do, you know, a unit of standard blood donation. But this time I tried something different and I did the power red donation. And the power red donation is more powerful. And they, and they brand it that way. It's powerful because it kind of leverages two donations in one visit. They take two units of red blood cells out of you instead of one because they return the plasma and the platelets back into your body. It's actually pretty creepy. Uh, you know, there goes your blood and then comes the, the serum back in. But, but it is more, you know, quote, powerful. It does more good. Power's weird. We don't know what to think of power. We think we can figure it out and it just gets kind of complicated. But in verse 19, I just want you to see Paul without any reservation without worrying about, you know, how people think of power and whether or not, you know, we need to, to dance around that topic, he just piles it on. Pile, Paul can't come up with enough words to describe the power of Jesus. The first one, of course, being power. And it's the same word where we get our, our English word for dynamite. And, and, and he's describing that in relation to the power that raised Jesus from the dead is that, that dynamite power is at work in you and in me and all who trust in Christ. Same word he used in 1 Corinthians 15 to describe the resurrection of the dead and what is sown is perishable, what's raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, and it's raised in power. Like every limitation and all the weakness that you and I are hampered by is gonna be reversed at the resurrection as we experience firsthand what the power that raised Christ from the dead is gonna feel like in our own bodies, our own glorified bodies. 
And that's the kind of power that Paul's talking about in verse 19. He also talks about work. Uh, it's, we get our English word energy from the word that Paul uses there. This power that's working uh, according to his mighty strength. Uh, the word might is employed there. And same word Jesus used uh, uh, when Jesus is describing the strong man who, who you know, is overpowering a house and then a stronger man comes and overpowers the bandit. And Jesus is saying, I'm the stronger man. I am the more mighty one, more mighty than your adversary, the devil, uh, who is our enemy. So piling on, last word uh, is strength. We get uh, words like democracy from the... Paul can't find enough words to describe Jesus's strength and might and power and authority. And he's not hedging at all. He's not dancing around the topic of Christ's authority in the least, even though we kind of struggle with how should we regard power? What do we think of authority? We want it, but we don't want others to have it. We want to exercise it, but we, we, we chafe when others demonstrate their power and authority over us. It's complicated. Uh, a guy named Andy Crouch wrote a really helpful book. It's short, and if you ever want to give it a read, it's called Strong and Weak and really, really helpful. And he talks about this dynamic, this, this tension about power and authority. He says the most painful path is the human choice at the very origins of the species. Going, all, you know, he's referring back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. The most painful path to, is to seek God-like power without God-like character. We are vulnerable without authority, meaning we get, we're victimized. We're vulnerable without authority because our first parents sought authority without vulnerability, right? They wanted to be like God. And because their fallen children seek it still, that's what we're after. Authority without vulnerability. And that's the problem, because what the kind of authority and power that Jesus demonstrates, as we're going to see, has tremendous vulnerability attached to it. All right, so verse 19 and 20, you know, we're hearing about Paul's prayer for us, uh, for the Ephesians, that, that we would experience firsthand a little bit of that resurrection power. And then as he continues, you know, his exaltation and talking about the dominion of Jesus, in verse 22 and 23, he says that God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, to us. Jesus' head over his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All of Christ's power is being exercised with the good of his body, the church, as his goal. Imagine that, the most powerful person in the world with the most supreme authority in the universe has you on his mind and in his heart. Hebrews tells us we don't yet see everything under his authority and power and control, but it is. Our, our optic eyes can't see it, but the eyes of our heart can be enlightened to recognize that. So um, to you go to another place where Paul's explaining these dynamics in Colossians 1. He says that, you know, we haven't stopped praying for you. It's another prayer for the saints, asking that God would help them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, 
bearing fruit, every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That sounds like standard stuff for Paul's prayers, but listen to what he says then next. He prays that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. He's, he's praying, for, you know, again, not dancing around the whole power dynamics that make us nervous, but he's praying that God's people would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might, that we would be participants in that kind of power, but what's the purpose? Did you catch the end? Did you catch the goal in that prayer? He says, this is the reason, so that I want you to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you can go out there and dominate. That's not what he says. He says, for all endurance, with patience and joy. Paul's got a vision that we would use the power that the Holy Spirit gives us, this power that, that was at work when God raised Jesus from the dead, that kind of authority would be used by us in, in circumstances that require our endurance and that require our patience, where we need, we need prayers for joy because joy isn't natural in that environment. And what kind of, what kind of circumstances require your patience? What kind of animal are natural? require your endurance? What kind of circumstances require you to ask for joy because it's not normal or natural? Those are the circumstances where you're being asked to serve. Those are the circumstances where you're being asked to sacrifice something. Those are the circumstances where you're being asked sometimes to suffer. To use the, the, the supernatural power and might and and you know, dominion even, this authority that, that is a reflection of Christ's power and dominion to use it in ways that serve people, that sacrifice for people, that even suffer for people in ways that require endurance and patience and, and supernatural joy because it's not normal. It's not, it's not natural. We are called to reflect his power and his authority and to use it uh, to bless the world by serving and, and sacrificing and suffering. And nine times out of 10, the holy and good use of power is going to result in some kind of service or sacrifice or suffering. Back to power red, um, you know, Thursday, giving blood, feeling good. All right, I, I, I did something good for my neighbor, part of, you know, our, our, our outreach, right? So this is cool. First time I did power red, I didn't pass out, feeling good. All right, and then I got home. I got home Thursday. I'm like, why? why am I so tired? I'm exhausted. I'm sitting in the chair and like, or, or Kathy and I are having this conversation. I guess we got to get dinner going. I'm like, I just need a minute. <laughs> I just need, a, I got to go lay down. And, and I don't like naps. I wake up from naps and I feel like, it feels like a hangover to me. I just feel exhausted and wiped out after I wake up from a nap. So I don't take naps, but I had no choice on Thursday. I was either going to nap in the chair or I was going to nap in the bed, but the nap was not optional. It was going to happen, and so I'm like, I just need an hour. So I went up, and I laid down from like five to six. And then I'm thinking, okay, Friday, right, we, we had Tenebrae, and it was a good day, good Friday. And, uh, and yesterday I got up, um, and I'm like, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to get my run in, going to go jog about three miles or so. Jog of my life on Saturday morning. I couldn't, I, could, I got a mile downhill. It's a slope, downhill. The first mile is downhill and I'm winded at the end of a mile. 
And I'm walking, I'm going, what has happened? Oh, Power Red happened. We went to Klein's last night. We was, you know, they had the lemon ginger snap is at the Stanton Klein's. Anyway, and, uh, and, and Liddy and I are just, you know, having ice cream and then we're arm wrestling, you know. My 16-year-old daughter almost beat me. Uh, Power Red, Power Red. I'm gonna blame it on Power Red. Um, so, when we use our power, when we use uh, our authority, I had a choice to give blood or not. You have a choice to give, and, and I'm just using this as an example for all of the ways where we, have, we are confronted with how am I gonna use my power and my influence and my authority? And if you're gonna use it well, if, if we're gonna reflect Jesus nine times out of 10, it's gonna mean serving somebody, sacrificing something, and even suffering. And to, to bless these people, to, to go and to uh, take this power red and, and, and on, on Saturday, and my daughter's going to embarrass me and clients. You know, like there's some suffering. There's some, there's, there's service. That's what it looks like to use our, our power in a healthy way. This is one of the most countercultural aspects of Christianity. Or at least it should begin to estimate the numbers of people here in this room right now, the, the percentage of you who have had a painful, awful experience with, with people in church power and authority who haven't used that power to serve you, to sacrifice for you, or to suffer for you, but instead using it as a power and authority will involve leadership, of course. But what's the goal? What's the motive? And, and of course, nobody's going to do it perfectly. But what's fundamental? And I know some of you have had terrible experiences with that. But yet, this should be one of the most countercultural aspects of Christianity. And our world is such a mess because of the ways that people have misused their power and their authority in a way that abuses the weak and the vulnerable. And instead, what, what Christian power and authority is designed to do, because it's the way Jesus used it, is to lift up the weak and the vulnerable. All of us have some kind of power and authority to wield. Some of you have great power. Some of you have great authority. Some of you have big muscles and high-paying jobs. I mean, who, you know, you fill in the blank. And some of you may feel like, well, I don't have power. What do you mean? I don't have authority. I'm nothing. Everybody has power and authority, even little ones, even toddlers. And you're, you parents who have little ones here right now, and you're like, when's he going to be over? Because I'm worried my kid's going to squawk. You know how much power your toddler has to influence their surroundings and the people around them. Everybody has power. By the way, we love hearing those noises from your little ones because if we don't hear those noises, that means any church that doesn't have those noises is dying because those, people, those kids aren't here, all right? So we welcome it. It's good. Um, but anyway, so power is, is tricky. And we're supposed to use it to serve. We're supposed to sacrifice. We're even suffering sometimes. And again, Andy Crouch from his book says, authority is good. It's good. Authority is good. The sorrow of the whole human story is not that we have authority. It's the way we've misused and neglected authority. Our, our drive you know, for authority, our sense of frustration when we are denied it or our sense of grief when we lose it comes from its fundamental goodness. It's a part of bearing God's image. And so to wrap up, like we've looked at the exaltation of Jesus. We've looked at his dominion, his power and his authority. Now, what's our confession in light of these truths? In light of 
Easter, in light of his power over death and his power. We, we were having Palm Sunday and we, we got that vision from Revelation 7 of this eternal Palm Sunday, the true Palm Sunday, the, the Palm eternity of Revelation 7 where John looks and there's this multitude that nobody can number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages. And they're standing before the throne, before the lamb, before the throne of God's authority, before the, the lamb who is above every you know, power and dominion. And they're clothed in white robes and they're waving their palm branches in their hands. So it's a picture of the throne. It's a picture of God's authority, Christ's authority. And it ends with everybody in heaven, the heavenly host, this anthem of blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and might and power be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's what heaven is confessing. Power and might be to our God forever and ever. Is this our confession? Do we gladly give Jesus power and might and authority? Do we gladly bow our knee and celebrate his power and his authority? Can we trust Jesus to use his absolute power, his absolute authority for our good? Because all of us here, I think, have probably heard that some way, somewhere along the way that, that ancient you know, quote, power tends to corrupt, right? And absolute power corrupts absolutely, we're told. Do you know the rest of that quote by Lord Acton, you know, this British nobleman? Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The rest of the quote is, great men are almost always bad men. There is no worse heresy than that the office sanctifies the holder of it. Great men are almost always bad men. Was he a good man? How did he use his power and his authority? Did he use it on a power trip? Or did he use it to serve, to sacrifice, and to suffer? Making too much hay, of, I know, of this blood donation. But anyway, there's an app. <laughs> the Red Cross has an app. When you give blood, it'll tell you where your, where your blood went. You, you go into the, your blood journey. And uh, last year for the, the blood drive, uh, my blood went to Temple University Hospital in Philadelphia. That's cool. Uh, another blood drive last year, last September, went to Thomas Memorial Hospital in Charleston, West Virginia. Helped somebody there. That's cool. Think of, think of the cross as Jesus' blood donation. Think of it as his power red donation. And, and who did Jesus' blood benefit? On the front of your bulletins, this little image, I like this image. Uh, it's a globe with a crown of thorns around it, right? Like it's, it's, picture, it's a picture of his power. It's a picture of his dominion, but it's not the traditional crown of some you know, monarch on a power trip you know, with lots of jewels and gold and showing off how, much, how rich they are. It's a crown of thorns showing you how much he sacrificed for us on the cross, right? To take our sins away. And then you've got the globe and you can't really see it because it's in black and white, but is that the normal globe that you see? There's two things. 
The focus is on Africa, and it's upside down. And when you look at Jesus, what was he doing? He was constantly just turning the world upside down, going to the places and the people that the world had rejected and said, they're no good. Why are you paying attention? And why are you using your power and your authority and you know, wasting those resources on these people who really we don't care about? So instead of kind of you know, appealing to, to our, our Western you know, narcissism, like look at the way that, that Jesus goes to every corner of the world. His forgiveness and his salvation, his justification to anyone and everyone, no matter how rich, no matter how poor, no matter how touchable, no matter how many hugs they get, to receive God's embrace, to receive his forgiveness and his salvation. That is someone you can trust. He uses his ultimate power, his ultimate authority to serve, to, to sacrifice, to suffer. When um, Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room that last night when they were together, when he has the Last Supper, John gives us a window into one of the dynamics there where we're told, John tells us that Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. He was ultimately supreme. He had complete dominion. He had all power and all authority. And he was going back to his Father to take that throne again. And do you know what he did next? Anybody remember? He stripped down like a servant. He took off his jacket, his clothes, and he, he wrapped a towel around his waist. And he got down and he kneeled in front of each of the disciples and he washed their feet. He, he did the most menial work of anyone and washed their feet. Washed that, that dirt, that dust, that other stuff off of their feet. And he told them, I've, I've set an example for you that you should do for others what I'm doing. I'm ready to serve you, to suffer for you, to sacrifice for you, to save you. Then you'll go out and use your power and your authority in the same way. So, so do, do you believe, like they say in heaven, that all power and might and, and authority are yours? Is that your confession? We need to confess our belief to Jesus and our need to Jesus. We, have, we need him because we in our own, our own selves are so <laughs> powerless and weak. And we need a strong you know, savior. We need one who loves us and who's got our back. Will you rejoice in his strength? Will you celebrate his power and worship him freely for that? And maybe you're here and that's not where you're at. You're, you don't know yet. And, and I'm, I want to respect that. Like, okay, maybe I've made a compelling argument for you to trust Jesus, but you still haven't closed that deal yet. That's fine. But will you at least confess your doubt to him? Will you take your anxiety and your ambivalence about his power and about his authority and say, I don't know what to do with this, and ask him to help you and to lead you? Would you have the courage to ask him to lead you wherever that's going to faithfully take you in relationship with him? Will you confess your sins to him, all of us? Like the ways that we haven't been very good image bearers of his power and his authority. Where we've used 
our influence over others for, you know, selfish, self-serving reasons? Will you confess that sin to him? Will you receive his forgiveness? I know when you lost your temper. I know when you were being selfish. I know when you didn't choose to, to serve and to suffer. And he forgives us. And will you lastly confess that whatever power, whatever authority, whatever influence you do have, it comes from him. And he's calling us, corporately and individually, to use our power and our authority as an offering to him, to kneel before his power and his authority and then those things in ways that Jesus has designed for us. Let me close again with last words from uh, that, uh, that book, uh, Strong and Weak. There really is no other goal higher for us than to become people who are so full of authority and vulnerability that we perfectly reflect what human beings were meant to be. This is how God designed us, to be completely authoritative and completely vulnerable. People who flourished and brought flourishing to others, the ones in whom the glory of God was most fully seen. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for your power on display in raising Christ from the dead for our justification, to forgive our sins, to, to be a sacrifice of atonement, to take our, our guilt away, and to use your, your authority and your power to bless us, to serve us, to suffer in our place. And Lord, I pray that you would convince us all the more of your, the good and celebrate its goodness and worship you for your power and your authority and recognize and commend it to others that your, your kingdom is a good kingdom, that your dominion is an everlasting dominion, that, that we want our friends and family and neighbors and nations to get in on this kingdom, to come into it through Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his suffering, through his service. Lord, please use us as your image bearers, the ways that we use our power and our authority that you've given to us so that people could see Jesus more clearly, so they can understand how he serves, how he sacrifices.